In the old days, this is how business worked. Let's just say you're in manufacturing. You make a product, you sell the product, and then you would wait. Wait till, say, the day after Christmas. See if it got returned. That, that was the extent of customer feedback. And it was really hard to change the product at that point if it's something that you just buy in a store. Like, you have to change your whole supply chain, figure out what it is that people actually want to buy. And that's what's so thrilling about technology companies, about software companies, because in a way, they are constantly changing their product. I mean, sure, there's the updates you get every 10 minutes on your iPhone for some app. But more than that, there is this almost dance between the people who write programs, who have technology companies, and their customers, a dance where they're constantly changing their product and learning from the very people who use it. And then changing the business model, changing how they make money off that thing. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Robert Smith. I'm Zoe Chase. Today on the show, three short stories about this dance between the customers and the technology. Let's start with the most basic form of how technology changes the relationship between a buyer and a seller. This story is about listening to your customers. So I'm going to show you what we're talking about. Basically, I open the computer. I pull up this Chinese website. It's called YY. Letter Y, letter Y. Yep, just YY.com. And you can see right now this is it's basically a video game. Yeah, we're watching two people play a sort of wizards kind of card game. Things are blowing up. It's, it's hard to tell. It's all in Chinese. Yeah, it's hard to know what's going on. But the thing that I want to show you is that right now at this moment, like while we are speaking, there are 926 people, including me and you, Robert, who are watching. And on the site YY, you can scroll through hundreds and hundreds of different video games being played right now as we speak with hundreds and hundreds of people watching the video games. YY has something like 105 million users. But even though it started out as this gaming thing, it has turned into something else. In fact, most of the money they make is not through these guys gaming through the thing that we're watching right now, but actually through this other way, this way that their users invented Yeah, their users started to sing to each other. And Zoe, I'm going to let you take the rest of the story. So YY started out just as this social network for gamers. So you didn't have to play League of Legends all by yourself. You'd make friends across China and you would play together. The singing started once they launched this new service for the gaming platform. They launched this new service to solve a problem that the gamers were having. There's no time for them to type text. When they play games, they are very concentrated, so they are very busy with their hands. Eric He is an executive with YY, and he explains they put in this high-quality audio software. So players could just talk to each other like, hey, what's up, in real time. I found Asman Wang. He's a student at NYU. He loves YY and uses it all the time. What are they saying to each other? Oh, just like, uh, be careful. Be careful, watch your back, there's like a monster coming? Yeah, like uh, in the game. Asman is one of the many Chinese gamers who loved this feature. And this is how he stayed connected to his friends in Shanghai when he moved to the U.S. in high school. They played World of Warcraft together and they talked all the time. And YY, the company, grew really fast. Even when it was just gamers yelling at each other, YY grew in this huge way. Every week, uh, you know, our user increased by 3% every week, consecutively for 100 weeks. That is really crazy. China-style growth. Just growth that skyrockets so fast it's hard to wrap your head around. 
But even with all these people, they're not making a profit. There is no business model. It was not making money. Not making money. Growth, but no money. And this is when they started to notice the singing. It turns out if you set up a way for anyone with a webcam to get a large audience and you provide high quality audio, people are going to sing. They are going to karaoke. As you flip through the site, you will see those gamers that we saw in the beginning, but you're more likely to see thousands of young women, also men, but mostly women, sitting in front of microphones in their bedrooms, singing pop songs, chatting with the audience. This is a young lady who goes by the name Cotton Rabbit. She's slim, young-looking, dressed a little provocatively, I would say, in a sort of silk tank top thing. And she is really popular. It said there is 3,249 people online watching this video. It's a live show. That's Yang Guo, a translator who's helping me understand what I am looking at. The show is live. Cotton Rabbit is performing right at this moment. It's 11, 12 p.m. in China now. And as you watch Cotton Rabbit sing, there's this scroll beneath the video of what look like internet comments. Someone is even like posting the song that wants this girl to sing. Oh, they're doing requests. Yeah, mm-hmm. doing requests. At first, when all these girls popped up on the male-dominated gamer site, singing, thousands of people attending their concert, the YY guys didn't exactly realize that there was money to be had here. Until this one moment when Eric Ho says they decided to have basically a karaoke contest. We were trying to figure out how should we rank, you know, uh, performer A is better than performer B. They gave their users these free virtual tickets so that they could vote for their favorites. And one day the YY guys are online at Taobao, a huge internet marketplace. We found out that someone offered to buy that tickets. The free karaoke contest voting tickets were on sale for about 25 cents a piece. That was like lightning to us. We realized that the little ticket actually means something. People would pay for them. People wanted to show appreciation to the karaoke singers. This was the breakthrough. So now on YY, you enter your bank account and you can buy little presents for the singers, like emojis. Cotton candy and a lollipop. Yang Guo and I are scrolling through the gifts that Cotton Rabbit could get and is in fact getting at this moment. You can also send her the sugar candy, beer, the heart means I love you, and kiss and hug. And you are the best. They're all a few cents each, 10 cents, 15 cents. But as we watch, I see someone send Cotton Rabbit 66 magic wands. And that altogether is about three U.S. dollars, which is pretty good. Because the key to this whole thing is that Cotton Rabbit gets a cut of the actual money behind these little gifts. She does not get all of it. She does not even get the majority. YY, of course, takes a 60% cut of those sales. And there is way bigger money to be had in this game. On top of that, we have all the other things, you know, the flowers, the perfumes, uh, bouquets, uh, you know, cars and whatever. Cars, virtual Bentleys, Rolls Royces. For the really high rollers, they can pay 20,000 U.S. dollars to be what is called a king on the site. And that comes with cars with special license plates and 
kind of special proximity to the performer, all kinds of perks. Some singers make so much money off the kings and the dukes and the earls and the regular people who are just buying little magic wands that this is their full-time job and they make a ton of money at it. More than half of the revenue of YY now comes from this music business. And this company, they're continuing to move away from just gaming because it's clear that's what people want to do. They want to sing and perform for each other. YY started this dating service. Companies have business meetings on YY, conference calls. They're building up this education platform, and they're going to charge tuition for that. But by far, the biggest revenue source for this company, it's basically emojis. Simple, but that's what the customers wanted. Our next story is from Steve Hen. <laughs> so fancy. I know. Uh, Siri can say just about anything, but the problem is the really hard technical problem, as I'm sure anyone with an iPhone knows, is getting Siri to understand what you're saying. Yeah, computers do not understand what you tell them to do. And Apple and Google and Amazon are trying to work on this. They have been for a long time, but they have not figured this out. They have all this technology. They know all this stuff, but they can't make the computer understand what you say. Our colleague Steve Hand has been looking into this, and he found that a surprising amount of the best work being done in this voice recognition field is being done by small companies teaming up with other small companies. Because even though they don't have the budgets and perhaps the technical prowess of the giant Apples and Googles and Amazons, they do have users, users that can basically teach computers to listen. Hello, I am Mara. I'm a mostly audio running assistant. Mara, the mostly audio running assistant, is an app that was built by this guy. Let's go for a five-mile run. Do you want to warm up first? Yes, I do. Joel Wetzel is a software developer in Seattle. Okay, I am ready. But Mara is not something he built at work. Play something by the Beatles. Joel built his talking app on the side, weekends and evenings. Lots of really smart people in Silicon Valley believe that the company that finally teaches computers to really listen to us, to understand human speech, could end up ruling the technology universe. Okay, let's play a little more Beatles. But right now, there's one problem. Despite the fact that giants like Apple and Google have spent hundreds of millions of dollars and collected billions of pieces of data, today, most voice recognition programs kind of suck. Call my mom. Sorry, there's no mom number for Stephen Hen. <laughs> I've tried to teach Siri that I do actually have a mom. You can use one of these instead. So how can that runner, Joel Wetzel, working on a hobby project by himself on nights and weekends, possibly compete when Google and Apple and Microsoft are struggling? The key is Joel Wetzel isn't really working on this alone. Play Michael Jackson. This is Laurent Landowski, one of the co-founders of a company called Wit AI. So that's just a very basic setup. It's good, Michael, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, uh, yeah, it's a good... Wit AI makes and, uh, the voice recognition software Joel uses in his app, and they gave it to him for free. They're giving lots of computer programmers the same software for free. So more than 5,000 uh, developers use the platform, from 12-year-old kids to um, very large consumer electronics companies. Alex LeBron is Wit AI's CEO. 
So if it works with our French accent, it will work with everything in the world. In some settings, well, he claims his software understands you better than Siri, better than Google. So why give it away for free? Because right now, the goal is to get as many people talking to this software as possible. All those runners talking to Mara... I'm a mostly audio running assistant. ...are actually teaching Mara to get better. It's kind of like training a dog to understand commands. Never come! The more language it gets to hear, the more positive reinforcement it receives, the smarter it will get. So, (laughs) meet my dog, Zephyr. Why don't you get the treats... Because Zephyr doesn't listen without treats. Zeph knows a half a dozen commands. Focus. And when she gets one right, she gets a reward. Yeah. By giving its software away for free, Wit AI has essentially lined up an army of volunteer dog trainers. Those 5,000 developers are tweaking the software, improving it, and teaching it. Not just commands, but syntax and grammar and other things Zephyr will never understand. I think we're still at the dog level, <laughs> but some dogs are very smart. <laughs> um, so in about six months, we, with the AI, learned about 120,000 expressions in English alone. Okay, did you hear that, Seth? 120,000 commands. So far, the software's in robots, an automatic barista, and soon a smartwatch. And it's giving even the tiniest startup a tool to take on the tech industry's giants. So far we've been talking about how users can change a technology. But it also works the other way around. Technology can change the users. I know, technology can get inside your head. Yeah, and that's what video game designers work on sometimes. Like, video game designers basically want to turn you into addicts. They want to make it so that you cannot stop playing Candy Crush and Angry Birds and whatever it is. Yeah, they actually employ psychologists, experts in addiction, to make it so you can't put your phone down. And Stacey Vanek-Smith, our colleague, figured out exactly how they do it. It's not a natural human instinct to fling birds at pigs or move jelly beans around a little screen. No, game designers have to create that urge. Games are full of things that try and compel us to action. Nir Eyal used to be a game consultant, and he's tried every trick. From the way the games are designed to help us start playing the game, to the way they keep us coming back to the game, to how they involve our friends in the game, all of these things have underpinnings in consumer psychology. Ayal wrote a book called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. He says you can make almost anything addictive. So I tried to think of the dullest thing possible. My breakfast, toast. Toast. Toast, yeah. Okay. Could a video game based on dry bread really keep people playing? I called up a bunch of consultants and game designers about this. People like Roger Dickey. He created Mafia Wars, one of the most successful video games of all time. He said, if you really want to do toast, you need something that will grab people immediately. If the toast looks cute and there's a kind of fun mechanic, maybe something twitchy where you have to tap the toast at just the right time for it to come out of the toaster or whatever, I I could see something like that working. But goofy sounds and fast-moving butter knives will only get you so far. To keep people playing, you need to provide lots and lots of little challenges. The more challenges, the better. I ran my game by consultant Ramin Shokrazad. The basic challenge I was thinking could be like to make the toast but not to burn it. 
to get it perfectly toasted. Well, sure, but let's spice it up by saying we have a range of different cooking devices. We have a range of different uh, bread sizes. Okay. Uh, we might have time pressure added. We might have a number of people who are demanding toast. And they all want it cooked a different way. And maybe different stuff on it, too. Butter, jam, Ex- Nutella. Exactly. So now we might have three different, totally different orders going on simultaneously. We have time pressure, and we have to try to juggle this. And, of course, the better you do, the more you move up in levels, from short order cook to Toastmaster General. Shokrazad works at wargaming.net. His official title is Game Economist, but he throws around a lot of biology terms. Those little challenges... He says they stimulate dopamine in your brain. That time pressure stimulates adrenaline. So far, my fantasy toast game seems pretty exciting. You could waste hours slicing and buttering, but there's one piece missing. How does someone make money off of a toast game? All the consultants I talked to said it's pretty easy. Just wait until a player is in a groove, overcoming challenges, and then put a big, fat barrier in front of them. Run out of time, run out of lives, run out of delicious strawberry jam. And you need a little bit more. Well, you'll pay to get it. Once we break through that initial barrier, you know, once you're the kind of person who's willing to buy an item in a game, which isn't everybody, then you'll do it again. In the business, this is called fun pain. You love the butter, we take away the butter, you'll pay to get it back. Roger Dickey says a smart game will give people choices. They can pay with money or they can pay by inviting their friends. Facebook, Twitter. And if your friends are playing a game, that means you'll play it even longer. So now that all of the addictive elements are in place for the toast game, will I hear this coming out of every smartphone? My expert said probably not. Lots of game designers have studied human behavior, but very few games are big hits. It's like fashion. It's like producing a blockbuster movie title. Sometimes you're Angry Birds. Most of the time, you're toast. You know, occasionally we do like to let our users, the users of Planet Money, change our product. So why don't you write us, email us, planetmoney at npr.org, or you can tweet us at planetmoney. Thanks today to Rachel Liu with Foreign Policy Magazine, Haiti Nada, YY Investor, and Lily Huang with YY. Now, our colleagues at NPR Music wanted us to alert you to something. They're holding a contest to find the next great unknown band or musician. It could be you. It could be you. Here's the deal. You should record an original song, post it to YouTube, and then submit the video at npr.org slash contest by January 19th. 2015. The winner will be flown to Washington, D.C. to play in a Tiny Desk concert. And to play a showcase in Couch Trippin' to Austin. That's Couch Trippin', no G at the end, to, to Austin. To Austin. Yes. Enter at npr.org slash Tiny Desk Contest. Our producer is Jess Jang. I'm Robert Smith. I'm Zoe Chase. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. 